Hey there, and welcome to Go Crows, the internet's only Smallville podcast. Don't look that up. My name is Fry, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello! We did it! I didn't think we would make it. <laughs> we made it to the end of season one. We sure did. So, now you're 10% of the way through the show. That's such a threatening statement. <laughs> you say that, but you also dipped at the most reasonable point. No, not at the most reasonable point, but I did dip. The most reasonable point for you, where you <laughs> stayed too long and then could no longer justify it once your boy was out of the series. <laughs> That's happened to me multiple times with shows. Okay, but I am curious and dread to know how the hell they kept this show going without Lex Luthor. There was a lot of shenanigans involving, like, shooting his former stunt guy from the back with, like, a, a face mask on. Wasn't Yeah, wasn't there a lot of Mason Verger yeah, business? Stuff and, yeah, there were shenanigans, so. Wow. Okay, again, I, um, we'll see if we make it that far, because I think that the Fortress of Solitude business, which is a spoil one of the few spoilers I do know, seems like a good place to stop, right? <laughs> we'll see. That's that's a long way in the future. For now, we watched the last four episodes of season one. Episode 18 is Drone. Um, so in this episode, we've got, you know, infighting among the girls of the class as somebody needs to be Queen Bee. There is a uh, school election going on. Class president. Once again, we uh, have this problem where Clark can just step in and do anything. It's highly misogynistic. Surprise. Also, I'm just bitter that they did not make Lana Insect Queen. This does seem like a sad oversight. Because that's the most hilarious thing about Lana from the comics. Is that one time she just became Insect Queen. That would have been a much better way to use her character. Well... The next episode after that is Crush, which is when a friend of Chloe's, who is such a good friend and we have always known about him, comes back to school after having been in a tragic hit-and-run accident. He's managed to regain most of his motor functions, but gosh, his hands will never be the same. He but that's alright, because he has telekinesis now. But will I be able to play piano again? Wouldn't you know it, he is out for revenge. And also, he is a dude who is interested in Chloe, which means that Clark finally has to give a shit, apparently, because... Dog in the manger? I guess. After that, we've got Obscura, in which Chloe's kidnapped, but really it's all about Lana. There is an explosion. Jonathan Kent is bitter and unreasonable. What's new? But the explosion caused Lana to have a psychic link, and now she's having visions of Chloe being kidnapped. And then we have Tempest, which is actually part one of a two-parter. That's right. It hangs the cliff. There's no cliffs in Kansas. Cow cliff? Corn cliff. This is the evening of the spring formal. Everything has come to a head. Lex's dad, Lionel, has come in to shut down the factory and he's going to make Lex move back to Metropolis. Chloe and Clark are going to the formal together, maybe, and Whitney has decided that he needs to join the military, which makes Lana sad, maybe, but mostly it's about Clark. Also, that evil skeevy reporter is snooping around town trying to find out about Clark's powers. So it's the first time that Smallville has actually deigned to juggle a meaningful number 
of plot threads. All right, then let's start with our monsters of the week, which gets real esoteric in this batch, which I'm not necessarily mad at. I think, I don't know, it depends on what plot thread the show is juggling, whether or not it's stronger or weaker without its episodic elements. First, we have you know, the misogyny. We have the misogyny episode. Obviously, spoilers. We're always going to have spoilers. But <laughs> yes, we presume that you have either watched these episodes or you aren't going to and are cool with us just blazing ahead. So one of the tensions that's involved in the uh, the school election is that the people running are a boy, a perky girl who wears pink and is bitchy. Presumably she wears pink on Wednesdays. You're getting it. <laughs> and a girl who's a good worker and highly qualified, but really not suited to be a leader. So Pete starts to actually have a coherent character in this episode. They finally found one for him. Which does relate to his character in the show proper. But I just found it really striking that he was used as the mouthpiece for this weirdly misogynistic sentiment that even though Sasha's involved in all of these clubs and has all of this experience and has really been working towards being class president for years, she's not suited. While he just sort of nods and says the dude running is, well, he's qualified. He should get it. Like, he's just like, Paul Chan should get it. And they don't establish why he's better suited than Sasha. But of course, Sasha is not suited because she is an evil mutant who can control bees. The introduction of the candidates also feels so half-assed because our red herring villain, God, what is her, uh, Felice, is introduced as, you know, obviously evil because she's pink and perky and secretly mean. But literally Chloe already knows that she is mean and Pete has a line of like, well, maybe you're just looking for reasons to hate her. Literally two seconds before Felice comes over and says something overtly horrible to Chloe about the school's articles uh, on the candidates. Yeah. Like, that's just poor writing. You didn't even wait for him to- he- Why? You didn't raise any tensions. You're just making Pete look like a bad person. Mm-hmm. This is an in-joke, right? Pete, uh, Pete being campaign manager? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he worked for the Luther campaign in the comics. And- For president. Yeah, that's a- that's- that's a thing they keep threatening so far in the show. And it's not- a terrible idea like this i can see it working with him as a foil to clark as this thing that they've kind of in theory established where clark puts his foot in his mouth but wants to do the right thing whereas pete is kind of a showman type character smooth talker who just keep who is never there when anything important goes down but it feels less it, that's a dynamic I can see working in theory, except that Smallville is very, very bad <laughs> at developing these things. Yeah, and it also just feels weird to me that Pete just immediately decides to have Clark run for class president. And after sort of being like, eh, I don't think I want to, Clark immediately gives in and runs for class president for no reason. And then is super bitter at Chloe for not endorsing him. And yeah, it's just a big old mess. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a little w- away from the monster of the week, but... The episode's trying to negotiate the idea of what a natural leader is and who it deserves to be in charge, and it never really properly articulates why Sasha doesn't deserve it. Well, it's supposed to be, I think, coming back to that idea of charisma and, like, who has it, and the fact that when she 
tries to get the other people to drop out, she just bluntly tells them that, that they shouldn't run anymore and that's not a good tactic. So then she tries to kill them with bees. But her character is also so poorly served by the fact that this is an overstuffed narrative. And we so see so little of Paul Chan that it's not really clear why he's a better choice than her. Yeah, it wanted to have two initial rivals so that they could have the very half-hearted Act 1 red herring before it reveals that Sasha is in fact the bee murderer, but it makes the script feel too shallow. Like, it should have just been Sasha and Paul Chan and then Clark enters the race. And that would have been given up more time to develop her and Paul. There's also just this deep misunderstanding of how bees work in that if she stops being the alpha bee, the other bees will smell it and take their revenge on her. <laughs> yeah, they can smell royalty. Yeah, clearly. That's the answer. But yeah, it, and it's all in service of this whole idea that they keep giving her dialogue about how uh, about implicit pressures at home and how she really needs to do this. But they clearly can't afford to give her either a home or parents on screen. She just has a shed full of bees. <laughs> she goes to her bee shed to plot. <laughs> Which has a, you know, campaign headquarters banner she's put on it, but there's nobody else in her campaign except the bees, I guess. I appreciate the set dressing on that, and I wish there had been anything to back it up. <laughs> because, like, that's a great, very sad image. Yeah. And then they blow up her house at one point. The house that definitely exists in the background. This is yet another Smallville episode where you can see the gem of a- the germ of a good idea, and then in execution, it just- it's trying to hit too many manufactured beats- when it should be focusing in on fewer in order to make it work. Like, well, why is Lana in this episode at all? <laughs> so she can be weird about Clark. Oh, yes, I had forgotten. Smallville is so afraid to not have characters yeah. in an episode. Yeah, Lana's cafe isn't making money. There we go. Well, unless it's Pete. Pete will disappear for episodes at a time. Yeah. And again, he does become more of a character in this stretch of episodes, and I appreciate that. And there is more consistent characterization with him now. But it's just really weird that they used him as the mouthpiece for a lot of really gross sentiments. I mean, that does... The horrible thing is that it does add up to a consistent characterization if you backtrace it. But in a way that I'm not sure that the show intends. And if they did intend it, I don't like that. Because he's always been like, like, why is Clark friends with him? They're, they, they keep giving him traits that are in opposition to Clark, but they've neglected to give him positive traits also. Positive heroic traits, except for the the last Focus episode he had, where he was heroic, actually. Yeah. But we've forgotten that. I do think there might be something there, though, in that Pete immediately decided that he had to be behind somebody else running for class president for reasons he's not specifying, but I think we can all guess why he, he didn't think he would win an election in Kansas. Kudos to Sam Jones III for trying to give nuance to this character who has none. Yeah. And like, I'm not sure the writers were thinking about that from the lens of he's probably experiencing a lot of racism, but. The next episode ends up being a Chloe focus one and our villain of the week is actually a famous guy. It is Adam Brody, who some of you may recall from just two years ago was in Ready or Not, a very good movie. I enjoyed Ready or Not. Is that two years old already? It was 2019. 
And this is our first episode of 2021. Oh, I guess technically. Played the sad drunken brother, I believe. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's good The one that? who kind of almost had morals. Almost. Very close to morals. Damn, that movie was good. He's explosions. I'm not going to say any more about it, but there are explosions. And they're delightful. <laughs> He's playing uh, the sad nice guy in this episode. Nice guy TM. Allison Mack acts in this episode? Like, who asked her to act this much? I mean... Oh, yeah. Has she been sentenced yet? I don't think so. Hmm. I'm torn because I think I liked this episode the best of the batch, honestly. It is, in isolation, maybe the strongest one. Because it gives Chloe so much to do as a character rather than just... Like, it makes something of all the sad background mooning at Clark and gives her pathos and a certain amount of agency where she is at least trying to figure out things and do them on her own, even if, in the end, it come down to paunch. So, basically, Brody's character, uh, Justin Gaines, it's not really clear how he got his fucking magic power. No, there's it's just magic in this episode, I guess. Like, at least Sasha was stung by kryptonite bees. Yeah, and they'll return to it next episode, but this one is just, I don't know. Car. There was a hit and run, and his hands, they're not working as well as he wants them to. And he blames his surgeon. And there's a piece of throwaway dialogue where his surgeon is shown being a callous dick. It's kind of implied that he is... That that there was, like, malpractice or something? Mm -hmm. Like, he's charging a lot but he's not actually very good and or he is recommending the wrong treatments maybe but it's not actually clear whether that's true or he's a bad dude man but it's okay because justin who was an artist can still art with his psychic powers okay but the cold open of this episode makes it seem like he has a magic dorian gray easel and you know what that would have made more sense Right? Like, at the cold open, the way that this episode makes it look, it looks like he's, like, psychically projecting paintings onto paper. Or shitty photoshops. It has that very particular spray brush kind of paint. And he paints a photo of this guy getting his hands chopped off in an elevator because really karma. he just Really, he just does a drawing of this guy and then does some red scribbles on top of his hands. That's very good. And then dude's hands get chopped off in the elevator. Yeah, so you're like, oh my god, amazing. He paints things and then they happen. No. No. He's just telekinetic, like boring, plain old. Yeah. Again, I do think that this is for the best in that there was probably a version of this script that involved voodoo. <laughs> a thing Smallville should not have anything to do with. Oh, oh, the mysticism you will see. Oh. In later seasons. Oh boy. I guess the reason it probably got changed is because they didn't want to have to shackle him to the art thing as the plot moves along, where it instead becomes more about trophies than, than like, a murder weapon. But, like, I thought the art thing was more interesting. Yeah. So he comes back to school, and he's bitter and angry that he can't do art, even though he can still do art Mm -hmm. with his His magical psychic powers. He does art with his mind. And he asks Chloe out, and Clark's annoying. God, he's annoying. Clark is a total asshole about the fact that somebody asked Chloe out and she smooched him. Because, gosh, 
he didn't he never thought of her as anything but a friend but he it was really nice to have her pay flavoring amount of attention to him all of the time <sighs> but of course this is a bad decision on chloe's part because this is a bad guy and then the monster of the week you know murders the principal because principal kwan could not live through a whole season which by the way principal james kwan is played by hiro kanagawa who has been in everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah justin murders the principal because he thinks that that's who did the hit and run but actually it was the principal's son and again everyone is acting just a rude amount for smallville <laughs> genuinely people are giving subtle performances and it's an attack on me <laughs> And Whitney's dad is dead. Yeah, we'll have more to say about that in the Lana section, but yeah. uh, that's happening. Yeah, that's just going on in the background. I really liked this episode. <laughs> I'm mad about it. I didn't because it, it was so cynical. It is like it is very much in that vein of, oh, she tried to date somebody else and and it went badly just to prove that she should not have strayed from our nice hero who's obviously going to throw her over for Lana eventually. Like that's the your prediction on the wall. Yes, I am making this strong stance in your incredibly <laughs> smug-looking face. It's not that I liked the script. The script is extremely by the numbers, but I liked that it gave it gave its performers room to genuinely bring pathos to individual scenes, which is not something that Smallville does a lot, either because the writing is too hackney or the actors have trouble with a certain piece of material or... There's not a lot of continuity between roles, but I feel like this was one case where it kind of all fell together incidentally enough to enjoy on a performer level. I I feel like I'm just getting so tired of episodes about, number one, about stalking, Mm -hmm. but also episodes where teenage girls being stalked mechanically happens for the benefit of Clark. Yeah, that is exhausting. Also, I'm sure that whoever is doing them is working hard, but what the fuck is going on with the comic book art in the series? It's so ugly. <laughs> yeah, it, there's like a lot of fake comic books show up. The last ones we saw were uh, in, in the Quesh's Orphan episode. Yeah, with the angel guy. And, and it's clearly the same artist between episodes who is going for this very uh, mid-century melodrama comic you know, like those those ones that were stolen and blown up and sold as individual frames. Really? That's not what it looks like at all to me. Mm. To me, it looks very much like something out of the webcomic boom mm. of the early 2000s. Like the panel composition and just th- there's not a lot of halftones or anything. It's a lot of very flat colors. I mean, more in terms of like the blocky shapes and thick lines, I mm. guess. Mm. Yeah, to me that almost looks more like something drawn in an early tablet or something which i'm sure is what it is yeah Yeah. there's just sort of a slick electronicness about it that i don't associate with um mid-century much at all fair enough i think what i mean is that's what it feels like it was going for and it ended up in practice looking more like that era of webcomic yeah and it definitely does look very much like that sort of compressed storytelling that tended to happen then i don't know if how many people, everybody's read Understanding Comics, right? Surely, anyone listening to a Smallville podcast. If not, <laughs> it's a very interesting read. Yeah, by Scott McCloud. But it definitely has that compressed storytelling vibe where we have to pack the whole story into one page so that we can get through it mm-hmm. in 24 pages, or in this case, so that 
the reader can the viewer can at a glance see what's supposed to be happening in this comic they're not actually reading so i i definitely see that aspect of it looking very mid-century but and i can appreciate the difficulty of needing to make a representational page that reads at a glance when the camera is going to be on it for 10 seconds but God, it's ugly. Yeah. It's ugly in a comic book series. Yeah, it's very badly drawn, and it doesn't look like comic comics looked at the time. Like, it does not look like a printed comic from 2002. Yeah, either in terms of the sort of Dark Ages style, or just in terms of the physical yeah. heft of it. Yeah. It's not good. You never see, like, big splash pages or anything. I think we're cool to move on to Obscura, the all co- the some cops are bad apples episode of Smallville. God, this episode's so fucking bad. It's really bad. The real villain of it is, of course, as always, Jonathan Kent, but... Well, yes. Put a pin in that. Because, in <laughs> fact, it's, it turns out that a deputy cop who could have been a contender is going around kidnapping girls. Or rather, he kidnaps Chloe because he wants to bury her alive and then rescue her in order to get the glory he always deserved. And like, then that goes it. sideways. That's the plot. But before he kidnaps Chloe, there is an explosion, just a random explosion. And Lana is nearby because Whitney is telling her he's going to join the Marines because dead dad. And because she's nearby when the explosion happens, they are traumatically psychically bonded. There's no kryptonite involved. That's not true. There, there are, tiny bits of kryptonite in the soil they are traumatically bonded so she starts having psychic visions of him kidnapping chloe and it has to be very specific to this one situation because otherwise lana would be incredibly op and solve every episode yeah and also would you know know that clark has powers oh god we can't have that but it's super annoying because the episode has to go out of its way to like explain why nobody notices that Chloe's missing for a long time because she's supposed to be going for an internship interview at the planet. Mm -hmm. So she's going to be out of town for like a day. At the two to seven hours that it takes to get to Metropolis. Yeah. And it's very obnoxious because the last two episodes have really gone in on how careless and assholish Clark has been about his responsibilities for the paper. And it just extra bothers me. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and you mentioned while we were watching that this would have been a better episode to potentially include that one narrative from a while back of the tension and the friendship between Chloe and Lana. Yeah, because the time Lana stole Chloe's job, I commented that I would have liked for her to have trouble running the paper and to realize just how much it is and how big of a responsibility it is to be chloe and in this episode they kind of have clark peevishly be like well chloe goes away for one day and everything falls apart but it sounds more like he's irritated with chloe for not being there to handle everything rather than that he's rethinking his own Mm -hmm. attitudes towards this responsibility that he's supposed to have and actually chloe is good yeah and clark is you know the careless asshole who fucked it up and prevented her from going to a student journalism conference Yep, just didn't file the paperwork when she trusted him to do that. God, Clark is the worst. Like, the worst. And so she's, you know, trying to get this internship, but she gets kidnapped on the way to her internship. But it's okay. The um, the Smallville ledger allows her to write 
her own article about her abduction. And then she gets the internship. Because what is journalistic neutrality? I mean, it's Smallville. But she's writing it for the... No, no, she does. She does. She writes it for the Smallville paper and then the planet notices it. I mean, I guess that could technically be an op-ed. But, like, that's not... That's so weird. Like, you can't do your own investigative expose. Like that's that's just not... Yeah, and surely the investigation into what happened is still ongoing. Like, even if everybody knows what's going on, mm-hmm. surely... I am really mad that this episode is not about Chloe and Lana. I really am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's a friendship that I keep wanting to invest in, and... But Kristen Crook is really trying to imbue importance in this relationship in this episode. She is trying to be emotionally moved by the idea that Chloe might be missing and these visions are upsetting. But there's just no there. there. And of course, everyone's hilariously dismissive of the idea that psychic visions are a thing. Right? In Smallville. (laughs) Right? What happens every week? Is somebody going and clonking everyone on the head? Is this? They're using the little little memory eraser gun from Gravity Falls. It is the <laughs> literal only explanation. Also, Dr. Hamilton's there. Yeah, I keep forgetting. It's not really important. Which is a shame because, again, mad scientist dude hanging out with Lex Luthor would love to be invested in that. But he has like five lines and doesn't get to properly chew the scenery. So what are we even doing yeah, here? Because Lionel wants to shut down Cadmus Lab, which we know can't actually happen because then how will Lex... And Clark have their baby, their son, together. Which they have canonically. In the comics. Thank you, comic books. Which I guess we are crossing the stream somewhat in that the monster of the week of the last episode is Lionel. Uh-huh. Well, and also um, Nixon, the reporter. That's right. That fucker came back. I guess let's talk about and him. And also the fact that Twister was a successful film. That's the real villain. You know the only reason that there aren't flying cows in the finale is That's because they expensive. couldn't afford that shit. <laughs> but you know what they could afford? Remy Zero at the prom. Sorry, spring formal. Oh my god, it- you kept threatening me with this prom scene. And it truly does not disappoint. Like, <laughs> shit. So Clark finally asked Chloe out to the prom. Has a yet more toxic masculinity moment where, oh no... He can't go because the reporter blew up his truck. But like, more importantly, that prevents him from picking up. And he was going to ask Lex if he could borrow the limo. But Lex is dealing with his daddy issues this week. Right. (laughs) So what will they do? How will they get there? She picks him up. It's fine. It's fine. She has a really cute car. Very cute car. But I wish that I could give a shit about this relationship because- as time goes on, despite the fact that Allison Mack is terrible, I, I, I increasingly enjoy Chloe as a character. Yeah. And Chloe keeps repeatedly asking for reassurance that he's not going to fuck her over. So, meanwhile, Lana can't go to the prom because she has to drop Whitney off for his bus to join the Marines. And Whitney has been swatting around for like two episodes, acting like he's suddenly so much deeper and more mature than all of the other students because... Wow, it really makes you think that I'm joining the Marines. And for some reason, everybody else in this town is impressed that this high schooler is joining the Marines. Like, excuse you. Like, this is rural America. Probably a quarter of the kids in that town are military. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, my hometown was a bit bigger than Smallville. It, it, its population is 44,001. Mine is more Twin Peaks sized. The recruiters were sharking around basically anybody who didn't take 
the pre-SAT and sniping them up for military service. We had an entire ROTC department. This ain't impressive. Right. Like, I guess it's a little impressive that he's ditching the end of his year to join up early. Like, that's dumb. Dumb. But at least it's a bad decision. I don't mean it's just a bad decision. Uh Uh-huh. That's literally what happened to your brother. Thereabouts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's no economic opportunities. I guess I'm going to go for this free college education. But yeah, so she's at the outskirts of town. Evil reporter blew up the Kent's truck so that he could see Clark have powers. He figured it was a good enough idea to blow up a truck and possibly kill a high schooler because maybe... My hunch is never wrong. He doesn't (laughs) say that, but it's implied. Because maybe this high schooler is invulnerable. And he is a sleazy journalist. Right. So, and he's trying to... And he gets down into the cellar where the spaceship spaceship is. is. And meanwhile, also, Lionel has decided to shut down the plant. So Lex is cashing out his mother's stock in order to do an employee-led buyout. I will say, this finale is ridiculous, but it actually juggled its varying plot threads pretty well. Yeah, like there's too much going on, but it does keep on track with them better than most of the episodes where the side plots seem just sort of sprinkled in. I think last time I said it felt like they had so many subplots they wanted to hit for each character over the course of the season, and they just kind of wedged them into episodes as B-plots, depending on how much, how many minutes they needed to fill. Mm-hmm. And this one feels more planned. It does want us to hang on all the cliffs at the end of this episode, so it does. all of these plots are not resolved. Not a one of them. Do we want to start... Let us begin with the wisdom of Pa Kent before we go. It's, again, I say that this man is the predecessor to Man of Steel Pa Kent, the ruiner of all things. Uh Uh-huh. Coward. Asshole. He still sucks. He hates money. And gets angry over nothing. And also he just weirdly pressures Clark to, to be class president for no reason. Like, Clark doesn't even want to, but his parents... In order for that episode to happen, pressure uh-huh. him to do it. I think and then he pulls out after. It's supposed to be, I you know guess, I mean. this kind of... No, that Blow one... Blow back like a shotgun. Mallrats, why? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be, like, him trying to be supportive after he's come down so hard on the football thing. But it's just the one scene, and then they never come back to that after he loses. Clark has a scene with Pete when, inevitably, he loses this election. Which I guess I'm glad that he lost rather than miraculously winning and deciding to give it up because he sucks. Yeah. But it feels like it would have bookended the episode better in that relationship if we had come back to it. And why losing is okay and failure teaches you things. Yeah, and and I just dislike this recurrent thing where Clark gets to walk into anything and give it a little try and, and mess around other people. And then dip out when it's not fun for him anymore. Yeah, he's got protagonist syndrome real bad. Yeah. I guess the other major thing that Jonathan does, besides not killing the reporter when he should have done a murder, (laughs) is, yeah, the stuff with getting a check from Lex for this field that they have started to dig up and then rejecting it because... So it's the field that there was an explosion. It is the field where Clark's spaceship came down. And so 
Jonathan is supposed to be anxious because he's worried about them coming back to Clark. But I'm not sure how not taking the money prevents that from happening. They're still digging in the field. Yeah, and and Lex is like trying really hard to be clear in his interactions with Jonathan and to avoid using money as a payoff and to speak Jonathan's language about respect and values. So like he's really stressing this is the exact dollar value of the grazing land you lost that was damaged. We're also doing an extra good job to try and clean it up and get rid of any contaminants because, you know, we we know that's your livelihood and it's important. And this feels like such an arbitrary step back after they had kind of reached that mutual respect. Like, I buy that Jonathan is anxious for his son because this is happening. But he gets super angry at Lex for doing soil analysis. Well, and specifically rejecting the money feels like it's a step back, not a new development forward in that relationship. He doesn't even say, I need you to stop doing this. Or I'll take the money, but fuck you. Mm-hmm. Or, or I don't trust you messing with my dirt because. Right. Or, well, and giving back the money doesn't even translate to get off my land. Yeah. It's, it's just, we need them to continue to be poor. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Like, it feels like a cheap script faint because we need that element of the status quo for things we want to do later i assume and i feel bad for lex because he's so confused about it Mm -hmm. because he's like i'm literally trying to fix all the things in a very (laughs) concrete specific way that this man should appreciate and that you that seemed to work until suddenly arbitrarily it didn't and then yeah roger nixon gets into the shed and jonathan doesn't kill him which I don't know. I feel like that would have been a more interesting turn for his character. (laughs) Well, good news. There's fanfic about that. Oh, good. Like, not even specific. There's one that's not even specifically about Roger Nixon, but it's this sort of short little piece about how many times the Kents have had to do stuff. Oh, so. (laughs) Throughout Clark's childhood. You know, it makes sense. So fandom has turned Jonathan Kent into Harry Mason. I'm good with this. (laughs) Honestly, though, I think that smallville so inadvertently turned jonathan into an asshole like a self-serving asshole that it would be much more interesting if they were to just commit to this character's struggle with his desire to embody these values with his pragmatism and but that's not happening on screen they keep fainting away from that so it's just this matter of we're supposed to believe this character is a moral paragon when in fact he's just an asshole yeah i feel like i would respect the character more if the script committed to that direction and meanwhile we have lana the heart of our show heart of the show lana's dealing with some stuff and it's making me respect her less tuesday again very sad that the one episode she gets something to do it's not really it's just an excuse to continue to funnel energy into the love triangle i actually kind of like what's going on in her plot with whitney absent clark it's a very understandable struggle on that level where you want to break up with this guy but his life just keeps going so wrong and then he's like holding her emotionally hostage by being like i'm going away to war babe you'll wait this was 2002 Mm -hmm. so it's not like this is a war of principle he's going away to fight it he might very well die (laughs) he's literally just helping american imperialism in the middle east yeah and There's that very believable snowball element where initially she was like, well, I was always sad about my parents and he put up with me. So now I'm going to be there for him 
about his parents and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and the guilt piles on and like oh i can't break up with him before he goes to basic uh, oh i can't break up with him by letter is probably going to be the next thing you know this it's a mundanity that i like because by this point even if even if he only shows up when the next comically sad thing has happened to him which is hilarious. I feel like Eric Johnson has settled into this role enough that he can pack the most into the scenes that he gets. He's a, he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't get a lot to do in this show, but I do think he's a good actor. So there is this genuine, oh no, this is bad for everyone involved, sadness to their scenes together. And But the, then we take that and we throw it all in the toilet because it's you it's also have all a- the scenes of, of Lana being myrrh about clark deciding to date chloe yeah and and like feeling like no no that's my ice cream too it's very frustrating and well and it's clearly supposed to be this in a smarter show it would be this changing of the equilibrium where she's now in the position clark was in except it's not really because you know clark doesn't actually care as much about chloe as lana he's just being with chloe because chloe's there and available and he sees lana as off limits because Whitney specifically is like, hey, bro, watch after her for me. Which is and it's so like, gross. Don't, what about your all of your shitty friends on the football team? They're dead now. <laughs> dead by kryptonite hail last week. Nobody talked about it because no one remembers it. <laughs> it wasn't relevant to Clark's journey. The stuff with the Talon feels much less relevant here than it did a few episodes ago because now we're doing other stuff so the show's not carrying those subplots through yeah but she's anxious about wanting to close it and i don't know maybe they'll come back in season two to this kind of to her relationship with lex and kind of her as a pseudo protege for him but i actually now that i say it don't have any confidence in that fact (laughs) and the talent stuff is frustrating because you know she's fussing oh, we're not making enough of a profit for me to fully open up the one-screen theater and show old movies again yet. And I'm like, you've been open like six months tops. Of course you're not turning a profit yet. Well, also, I've been starting to keep track of the marquee outside of the Talon. They had a silent film festival. They're showing things on that screen. Yeah, so like, writers, what's up? What you doing? (laughs) Incidentally, uh, the other signs on that marquee include... But are not limited to, because I think I missed one, and I wasn't going to go back. A free pickup line with every purchase. Which, if they followed through, would be great. That's the kind of shit you love to see at, at small town cafes. But we didn't hear anyone get one. Like, they should have done that as a bit. Right? Like, all you need is two seconds and an extra. You don't even, you just have a PA. Or, you don't have to give them lines. You could even have done it with Lana. Uh-huh. You could have had, like, somebody that Lana doesn't normally flirt with buy something. And then she gives a pickup line with purchase. It's a gag. It's it's a good goof. And then we also have best cappuccino in Smallville and congrats, grads. Now what? Yeah. Really makes you think. Oh, also Lana sets the, uh, Lana tells the ledger that there's a bad health department inspection on the other cafe in town to drive up her own business. This is supposed to be bad. Right. When she, she hasn't lied. She hasn't made this up. It's true. But apparently the moral thing would have been to very honestly and nobly allow people to eat rat shit. And also just uh, eventually close. Be like Jonathan Kent. 
<laughs> never accept money. Yeah. Even when it comes from a reputable source. Yeah. I actually did like that subplot of that episode with her. I liked that subplot, but I didn't like the Oh, no, I didn't like the tone of it. it. <laughs> but in abstract, I like this idea of Lana, in theory, straddling this line between Lex increasingly becoming an ends justify the means character and Clark being too principled to actually get shit done. Yeah. Like, in theory, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Sadly, mostly it is the scenes of her lurking in the background, frowning at at clark and chloe yeah and i didn't care for that meanwhile lex is having a day (sighs) he closed his entire business and put the half the town out of business out of jobs and that's terrible lionel did that lionel fucking shows up into town calls a press conference and a meeting with every employee of the factory and is like because lex sucks as a boss you're all fired and the thing is, everybody there knows it's demonstrably not true that Lex has, like, actually put in new safety measures and improved production and and avoided layoffs by restructuring. But, you know, magically this makes the town hate Lex. He's got that Spider-Man syndrome. I really liked this subplot, actually. Mm-hmm. It, and it's mainly just down to, we put our two best actors in a room again. Uh-huh. But the escalating war of... They bring a knife, you bring a gun. They put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. Where Lex decides he, like you said, he decides he's going to get together with his workers and do a worker-led buyout. And then Lionel buys the bank. So he's like, if any, if they have to mortgage their houses and they fall behind, I'll fucking put them on the street. <laughs> and and then Lex is like, it's okay, I have my mom's stocks. Yes, because none of his mom's stocks went to his other mom. Yeah, that was a subplot in another uh, in another of the episodes in this run. And it's, on the one hand, pretty minor and unimportant, but on the other, pretty important to Lex's sort of character. In that he had this nanny caretaker figure, Pamela, I think her name was. Yeah. Who just vanished after his mom's death and then Even shows though up. you promised that you would take care of me. And it turns out that Lionel chased her off by threatening to disinherit Lex if she showed back up. And told Lex that uh, she took money and ran. Apparently she decided that the disinheriting thing is not real. And also, can I have forgiveness? Because she has the cancer. She is dying of the cancer. Just like Lex's mom. Who has a hilarious memorial, by the way. It's like Tomb of the Unknown Soldier huge. It's amazing. There are two different eternal flames on it. There are pillars. It's incredible. And like in that episode hilariously clark asks lex have you ever been in love i've loved two women and he's talking about his mom and pamela and it's like that's a dodge my dude wow no that's a dodge it's just that he hasn't met the right one not the right woman yes clark (laughs) like a pen pal Like, it's the most overt gay dialogue. It's hilarious because he's standing there, you know, looking at Clark. He's like, I've loved two women. And that's some careful phrasing. Yeah, the vibes continue to be there and they continue to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Put this man in a movie with James Spader. I don't think we could handle that. Put this man in a movie with James Spader where they are playing, like, Hannibal cat and mouse lovers. (laughs) And then we all die. Yep. There is also- Jonathan Glover can come too. 
This is good. Again, too powerful. There's also an episode with your favorite trope, guest starring, an, an actor we know and know, which is that uh, a reporter from the Daily Planet attempts to sell Lex out to get a leg up. Yeah. I've talked about this before, how harmful I feel like the lady reporter who fucks for stories trope is, because it causes real physical harms mm -hmm. to femme reporters in reality, because it's so consistently presented as that's how women reporters operate, that number one, people just assume that that's true and that, okay, you didn't actually put any real legwork for this story. You just have this advantage so they don't get recognized as serious reporters, but also because it, it creates a much heightened risk of phys physical assault because a lot of times sources assume that there's a sexual favors deal going on if they're talking to a reporter who is a woman. And yeah. this is like documented. It's fucked up. So yeah, we've got an evil slutty reporter, Carrie Castle. Played by Marguerite Moreau, who is in other things as well. But for our trash interests, she played Jessie in the uh, heinous Queen of the Damned adaptation. Yeah, which is not good. She's not a good actress, but also that I've never seen her in anything that used her for anything other than... Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I don't hate her as an actress. It's just that she... But yeah, I've just never seen her in anything that required her to, you know, act. Yeah, and then she's attached to this she's just, very tiresome character. She just sort of makes sexy faces all the time and it's, tries to blackmail Lex and then Lex buys her out. And she, you know, it's supposed to be this moment of she's been very haughtily talking about her integrity, but actually, like most girl reporters, she has no integrity and can be bought. And then we get her called a whore yeah. in, in the next episode. Yeah, that's fun. Love that. Hated that plot line. Is she coming back? I honestly can't remember. The reporter thing will always be present in the show because Clark becoming a reporter is like a thing. A thing. But the skeevy reporters become deeply interchangeable over time because, you know, you've got Roger Nixon here, who we're supposed to think is a skeevy reporter, but also he's less of a. Right, because than he's her. on to an, an, a real important story, whereas she is. She's just muckraking to make her name. She is concocting this hit piece. Also, it's bold of the series to do this when they rely so heavily on Lex is bad because we say he's bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this character is extra bad for doing the thing that the writing is doing. The irony is many layers deep. And while Lex is courageously unionizing his workforce... The tornado sweeps into town. Lionel is there yelling at him and getting very up close in his face. Once again, the vibes are not requested, but they are there. Yeah. Like, please stop. You are playing relatives. <laughs> and I am not supposed to believe that there's... I do believe that there is a potentially a horrifying incest angle here, but I'm not supposed to. Yeah, no, that's not supposed to be there. And then the episode ends with, you know, the intense cliffhanger of the house collapses on them. From the tornado. They both chew the scenery so hard. So the, much. The house collapses. And gosh, Lionel is trapped under a pillar. And will Lex finally kill him? I wonder. I have suspense over this. <laughs> in fairness, if I were watching season one in a vacuum, I might actually. Because that seems like the kind of we got a moral event horizon. 
Well, and also, um, he's, Glover is, is such a get actor. He feels like the kind of guy you would have for one season and kill off. Yeah, it does have that vibe. And I don't know whether the second half of this was written yet. <laughs> oh, we also have that one scene with Lex. When Clark's getting ready. Ah, yes, you were very pleased to show me this scene. Weren't you pleased to watch it? I would like to be. <laughs> except for the fact that I can't. <laughs> because it's weird. And like, again, it's extra weird because Tom Welling looks twenty looks older than Michael Rosenbaum. So Clark <laughs> is 15 and looks 25. Still not okay, but... Still not okay. Yeah, but... so there's this scene where... Clark is getting ready for the formal and Chloe's coming to pick him up and he's pouting about that. And Lex shows up as Clark is getting dressed in his barn for like some reason. I guess because it would be weird to do this in Clark's bedroom. I assume that Lex is not welcome in the house. <laughs> but like Clark chose to get dressed in, in the, the barn, barn in his rented tuxedo. You're never going to get the hay out, man. Oh, that tuxedo's gone. Then Lex comes up and tenderly does up Clark's bow tie for him. And it's rather sweet. And again, weird, because this is a grown man and a high school student. <laughs> I'd like to point out that not only does he know how to tie a bow tie, he knows how to tie it from the other side. It's true, which is its own unique skill. He can tie it from the front. I guess the alternative would have been him standing behind Clark and tying it. Too horny. Too, too horny. horny. <laughs> I mean, but like this raises questions about the character that I think we all know the answers to. Yeah. Speaking of uncomfortable vibes, as you have pointed out while we're watching, Lex is definitely a character who, in his backstory, has had a lot of very unhealthy sex, <laughs> uh, underage sex, with much older men. That's just canon. Like, it's not on screen anywhere, but it is canon. <laughs> the vibes are real. <laughs> he has had bad times. And he is just not thinking about that. We're just putting that in a box. We're putting that in the box of daddy issues with all the other older men who have taken advantage of him. See, I've always been a fan of um, stories that shipped him with, with you know, his boarding school companion, Bruce. Honestly? The two most fucked up kids at boarding school. I'm into it. There is, again, no foundation for this. No. But I like it. It is very <laughs> odd that watching this series has made me very interested in, like, the whole Clark Lex shipping vibe, but not in this universe. Yeah, but like in other stuff. Well, and not just because of the age gap, but also just because I dislike this version of Clark so much. She's so awful. Yeah. But like if you were to take another version that had the theoretical childhood friends version and then put it on a Clark who's good, actually. Oh, I've got good news. I'll show you my comics later. Hooray! So then at the end of the season, the tornado shows up in town and it happens during the prom. Sorry, spring formal. And Clark is like, oh shit, Lana's out at the bus stop. And Chloe's like, okay, but stay here with me because mm -hmm. she'll get to shelter. And also you're here with me and this is where the shelter is. And I have abandonment issues now. And she literally turns away for a split second to try and call Lana. And he vanishes on her and mm -hmm. runs directly into the tornado. And will he make it as she gets picked up by the tornado? This is stretching the no tights, no flights rule to the absolute limit. We didn't see him fly. Uh-huh. So it's fine. Yeah. And no, again, no, the he tornado made him in fly. a rental tuxedo. 
So what do you think is going to happen now? Um, you know, fuck it. I'll say that he leaves Lionel to die and he manages to survive. <laughs> Let's go with that as a very outlandish prediction. <laughs> you think Lux is going to leave Lionel to die, but Lionel will refuse because he's a fucker. Uh-huh. That is my extremely unlikely prediction. <laughs> what else do you think is going to happen? Like with the other subplots we've got going. Like uh, Cadmus Labs, Nick's in the Reporter... I assume Reporter Man gets killed by the tornado because every time somebody sees Clark do a superpower, they have died so far. <laughs> and that's just convenient. But I know that the ship MacGuffin has to go back to Lex somehow. The, the little key thing that was found in a field. Mm -hmm. That turned the ship on. I assume Cadmus Labs will go away for another half season until we suddenly remember that it's there again. Because that is how Smallville roll. And what about the plant? The plant will be fine because we need Lex to stay in Smallville for a while longer. <laughs> uh, and Lionel's miraculous near not death will assure that everyone is fine for a while. <laughs> Lex having the power over, or maybe indeed Lex will save him just to prove he has power over life and death. He, <laughs> he finally got his Christmas present and decided who lives and who dies. <laughs> <laughs> he has a certain crowish energy. Uh. Go crows, and indeed. I give it another half season before Chloe breaks up with Clark to get out of this hot mess. And I already actually know the spoiler about Whitney, so that doesn't feel fair. Ah. Let's see, what else? Uh, there's not really a lot of wholesale plot ripoffs this time around, except for the fact that uh, Sasha from the drone episode is full on just channeling Jennifer Connelly in Phenomenon. Except but that, like bad. But like bad, and also those, well, that movie wasn't good. <laughs> but those bugs were friends. Those bugs were friends. Mm -hmm. Friendly friends. The monkey was not a friend. And that monkey we're allowed to talk about, unlike. <laughs> <laughs> Go and ask an Edgar Allan Poe scholar. Oh, yeah, no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> no, do it. Go and ask a Poe scholar about the monkey. Do not. You'll have a bad time. <laughs> and that brings us to our last segment. As we end season one, the jukebox, wherein I thank the Smallville Wiki for saving me from having to crane my ears at the esoteric 90s tracks in the backgrounds, and also some less than esoteric ones <laughs> this time around. But, you know, shout out to Remy Zero for showing up and playing this prom in the Heartland. Charmed was popular. <laughs> it was inevitable. <laughs> All right. So from Drone, we have Fever for the Flavor. From Hot Action Cop. That's a porno title. Yes. Wake Up Elvis by Hot Alan Action Chari. Hot Action Cops 4. Fever for the Flava. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like a porno. Yes. The Middle by Jimmy Eat World. Just take some time. <laughs> the biggest the biggest head they've had since Five for Fighting. Opaline by Dishwalla. Big Day by Purricane. That's my furry punk band. <laughs> Stick 'em Up by Quarashi. Drink to Get Drunk by Sia. Oh my. A Sia song. Jesus. <laughs> wow, there was a lot of music in this episode. Not What I Wanted by El Evan Olsen. And Here is Gone by the Goo Goo Dolls. Poor Goo Goo Dolls. I, I like the Goo Goo Dolls. Same. Leave me alone. <laughs> my class song was Goo Goo Dolls. It's fine. It's whatever. On Crush, we have Going Off by laughing us with an exclamation point that's very uh. important nothing to do by bottlefly lighten your eyes by louise goffin 
40 to 5 by Leave the World. You and I by Micah Green. Hello, Micah. <laughs> I'm always pleased whenever I see whatever the fuck you're doing, Mr. Grace Kelly. Time after time by... I thought, by, was, I thought Grace Kelly was Mika. You're right. You're right. How do I... Well, Micah Green, I don't know who you are, but I hope you're having a nice day. And a terrible cover of Time After Time by Ava Cassidy. I'm so bitter about that. It's not it's good. A bad cover. You've somehow slowed it down in a way that does not work. It's not quite as bad as the shame cover of New York, New I York. Was, I was about to mention that also. It's so slow, it's hard to sing along to. Because the beats don't make sense anymore. Yeah. Obscura, we've got Piano Fire by Sparkle Horse, Silent to the Dark by The Electric Soft Parade, which is, of course, the opening act to the Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> Just Another by Pete Yorn, Two Stones in My Pocket by Neil Halstead, No Such Thing by John Mayer. We're really coming in to close on songs by artists who are still around. <laughs> I sense a pattern. And for Tempest, including very special guest. <laughs> Remy Zero. What Do I Have to Do by Stabbing Westward. Good name. It's a good band. What We've Been Through by Paul Trudeau. Where This Love Goes by Sherry Youngward. Breathe by Green Wheel. Let's Go by the Gigolo Aunts. I want to know more name. about them. Great name. <laughs> Everything by Lifehouse. Fucking Lifehouse. <laughs> Emo band du jour. Save Me by Remy Zero. Perfect Memory. Parentheses. I'll Remember You by Remy Zero. And that's how we end our season. Congratulations, everyone. You did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> sort of tentatively thinking of keeping to four episodes. I, I think it's nice to go along at this slightly brisker pace so we're not doing this for five years for longer <laughs> than the show ran. Yeah. But also, if y'all aren't liking it, please do let us know. You know, we're open to going back to three if you like that slightly slower pace? Yeah. I almost, personally, I think that the four balances nicely. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, uh, season two, you know, you, you, you go into your sophomore season, you, you learn to change, you grow, you develop. Now you're sounding weird. <laughs> yeah, I took it to a weird place. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <sighs> what a first episode of 2021. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to see what happens at the end of Tempest, and then luckily nothing ever happens in Smallville over the summer. Hooray! A nice, peaceful summer? Yeah, it was one of the running jokes about the show, is that nothing ever happens during the summertime. Of course. Because we need that structure. Seasons, it was the Harry Potter structure, where mm -hmm. it's the school year. Of course. Because it was airing during the school year. Right. I'd say that that about wraps us up on this one. Good job, team. Woo! Go Crows! If you liked this episode, you can find more from us uh, for our flagship podcast, Trash and Treasures, or for Drunk Book Club by searching Trash and Treasures on SoundCloud or your podcatcher of choice. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash trashandtreasures, where if you join up, you can listen to bonus episodes, get Dorothy's Recipe Guide, or commission an episode for us which is always very exciting we've gotten some great suggestions you can also email us at trash treasures pod at gmail.com we love to get mail or find us on social media we're on tumblr at trash and treasures pod.tumblr.com and we are on twitter at trash pod want to give a shout out on the show to at 
Moonlight Museum for doing a very sweet recommendation of our podcast on Twitter, which made my heart feel warm and fuzzy. Um, Thank you so much. It's very, very sweet. We look forward to more episodes. And if you're watching along at home for the first time or just re-watching, tell us how it's going for you. Because <laughs> this has been an experience. Remember to take care of yourselves out there, listeners. See y'all. Go Crows! Go Crows! <laughs>